I'm going to call you back. Um, so glad you got to chat with someone, though. Meet your neighbors. Um, so I am Kayla, and I am a member here at the Haven Church, and so we just want to welcome you guys. We'd love to um, meet you personally. This is my lovely daughter, Taya, who's uh, weekly dream is to be on the stage up here. So it is being fulfilled. Um, so, <laughs> um, but we are going to be reading out of Matthew today. Um, Matthew, thir- or, sorry, Matthew 9, 9 to 13. Um, and so what has just happened in our scripture is Jesus is in his hometown. He's healed a paralyzed man. And now as Jesus is going on from there, he has met a man named Matthew. And Matthew is sitting at a tax booth. Um, and Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew, he rose and he followed Jesus. And Jesus then later is sitting at Matthew's table um, enjoying dinner. And many tax collectors and sinners are coming um, and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And so the Pharisees, they see this. And they ask the disciples, why is your teacher um, eating with all of these tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. And so go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that is our scripture for today. Thanks be to the Lord. Thank you, Kayla. That was beautiful. Yeah, you, I grabbed that. Yeah, thanks. Let's put our hands together for Kayla. Bring the word this morning. Thank you, Kayla. And company. Um, all right. Well, yeah, turn to your Bibles to Matthew 9. 9 through 13 is where we will be at this morning. Continuing our series, Love Walked Among Us, Rediscovering the Heart of Jesus, where we're just doing a deep dive to these one-on-one encounters that Jesus had with various people through the Gospels. And before I dive in, I want to ask a question. Does anyone here, raise your hand if you remember the time before cell phones and GPS? Yeah, anyone? All, wow, a lot of hands. Great. Okay. Stay strong, millennials. The Gen Zers have like, oh, wait, there was a time where we didn't have phones, you know? Um, so there's a reason for all this. And the reason I shared that is before you had Google Maps or Waze or Garmin GPS, is if you needed to get from point A to point Z, if you didn't know how to get there, you either had to have like turn-by-turn directions or more often than not, if you're hanging out with your friends, you need to go somewhere. Someone says, does anyone know where we're going? And then one person would say, I know where I'm going. Follow me. And that guy usually was lying and had no idea where he was going. And then all of us would be like, we're going to follow you. And then it was just this convoy of chaos. And, uh, you know, your friend is, it blows through the yellow light and, and you lose him and he doesn't pull over. But honestly, if you've ever been the, the lead dog in that convoy, that's actually the hardest spot. Because you're constantly looking in the rearview mirror and you're saying, is this person, this person said they were following me. Are they, are they following me? They're like a mile back. I have to slow down. I usually don't like to go slow. And, and then uh, they like took a right turn into a Starbucks, but I'm still going straight. I don't know what's happening. So I have to pull over with my flashers and, and it's just, it was just chaos. So that's actually how we used to get around and we made it. We're all here. Okay. And, uh, Sometimes I long to go back, you know, before the time of cell phones. Um, but when I think about the fact that I could never, ever get lost as long as I have cell phone service, that's awesome as well because getting lost is terrible. So um, the reason I share that is this, is last year we started doing these prayer walks in our community. And we would just go about in, in small teams and, and, and pray uh, different compass points, you know, north, south, east, west. In our community, as we encountered people, we would just, you know, get to know them and, 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 and talk to them. And, and the line that I, I like to use is, hey, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus and we're just out here praying over the community. Is there anything you want prayer for? And then if they say yes, we get to pray for them and then enter into a spiritual conversation and get to hopefully share the gospel with them. And we've seen God do some amazing things through that. And as I began to use that line of introducing myself as a follower of Jesus, I started reflecting on that after these prayer walks. And uh, I was asking myself, okay, I'm, I'm claiming to be a follower of of Jesus, am I really following him? Like, am I, do the decisions I make, are they really based off of, like, the Sermon on the Mount? The way I view my life, the way I view my money, the way I view who I should be hanging out with, how, how I should be viewing others? Do I truly follow Jesus? And there's this moment of wrestling and conviction. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm more shaped by my culture more often than not than I am by the Christ that I'm claiming to follow. 
And what we, what we see, and so the impetus there is this, is when Jesus extends the invitation to us to follow him, the idea is that, well, Jesus has a direction he's going. And so therefore, then our question personally, and the church I pray for, for us, I pray almost weekly for our church corporately, is Jesus, where are you going? Where are you leading us? And are we going with you? Jesus, where are you going? And am I going with you? And what we see in our text today is Jesus makes a beeline to the moral outcasts of society. The moral outcasts of society. That's where Jesus goes like blast through the yellow light disciples tripping up trying to keep in step with jesus he makes a beeline to tax collectors to prostitutes to just just you know the moral outcasts of society and if we were to define moral outcasts it would be this a moral outcast could be defined as uh the people religious folk don't want to hang out with that's that would be my definition of the moral outcast church folk don't want to get close to them church folks see you hanging out with them they're asking questions why are you hanging out with them and this is what we see Jesus doing in our text today. So three points, I'll pray and we'll dive in. Three points on my talk that uh, we see in our sermon text today. One, Jesus invites moral outcasts to follow him. Jesus invites moral outcasts to feast with him. And Jesus invites moral outcasts to freedom in him. Let's pray. Hmm. Heavenly Father, we... We give you praise, we give you glory, we thank you oh, just for the gift of slowing down and fixing our eyes on you, on your love for us, shown to us, Jesus, and how, how you came and descended to where we are, how you walked among us to lift us up to where you are, Lord God. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, would you come and, and minister to our hearts, Lord God? Would you come and apply your truth to our minds and, and to our lives? And, and would we all right now just collectively just open up our, our hands and open up our hearts to receive what you have for us? Lord, what we're gonna talk about today, what you, what you say in your text is you desire steadfast love and not sacrifice that. Empty religious rituals mean nothing to you if our hearts aren't in it. And so my hope and prayer is that this morning wouldn't be an empty religious ritual, but that our hearts would truly be here this morning. Our hearts would truly delight in you. Our hearts would truly want to draw near to you. Our hearts would truly want you to come and, and give us the power to overcome these things that are tripping us up, that we would truly, Lord, just delight in you as you delight in us, Lord God. And what great news, Lord God, that we don't have to work our fingers to the bone and in and, and self-righteous uh, sacrificial offerings to you, but Jesus, you were the sacrifice. You provided everything so that we can come to you with our hearts, Lord, and if you get our hearts, you'll get our hands. And so I pray, Lord, that you grab a hold of our heart in a new way this morning and then have your way and lead us where you wanna take us. So we love you. We pray a blessing over the rest of our service and the preaching of your word. And all God's people said, amen. All right, point number one, Jesus invites moral outcasts to follow him. Look at verse nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, in the first century, uh, those that would be reading this or heard of the story, they would be shocked, right? Because you and I, if we're honest, we don't really like someone who works for the IRS, right? Like, we just kind of dislike him. Hey, man, you're taking all my money. I don't really like that, you know? And hey, uh, pastor, heads up, it's tax season. So get your taxes done. You know, April's coming. All right. Um, like, sorry not to distract you. But tax collectors in the first century, first century Judaism, were hated, were loathed. They were the scum of the earth. One, they were seen as traitors. They were working for Rome, uh, the Roman oppressors of God's people. Two, they were thieves. They would overtax God's people to fill their own pockets. There would be a percentage that, you know, the Roman officials would set for the tax and they would uh, add a couple uh, zeros behind that and, and tax it. And then, and then they're getting rich off of oppressing and stealing from God's people. And then in addition to that, they consistently were in contact with pagan Gentiles. And so therefore, to be a tax collector as uh, a Jew was to be ceremonially unclean, to be in all, for all intents and purposes, a moral outcast, someone that, wasn't in synagogue, someone that uh, knew where everyone who went to synagogue viewed them and thought about them. And so potentially a, a modern rendition uh, of this, a modern example of this would 
would be Jesus goes to a gay pride event. And he goes to a booth where there's a trans man. And he invites that trans man to leave his booth and to come and to be a disciple and to be a student. That's the modern shock that we would, that we would have today. Jesus goes to a moral outcast, someone that knows that from what they're reading and what they're seeing from the church, that they would never want to be welcomed in the church. And that's who Jesus says to leave that lifestyle and to follow him in the lifestyle that Jesus has for them. And if we're honest, it might've been an easier pill to swallow for us if, if Jesus just like went to Matthew, this moral outcast, and, and just like had him pray a prayer and then walk away or have him heal him and then have nothing to do with him. But the further shock of what we see Jesus do is that Matthew gets invited by Jesus the rabbi to be a student in his seminary. And this is the implication. And when Jesus as a rabbi goes to the invitation and says, follow me, Matthew, come, come with me. A scholar, Frederick Bruner, puts it as beautifully as I think I've ever heard anyone put, put it in regards to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the first century context. Watch this quote by Bruner. If you're ever reading through the Gospel of Matthew, get his commentary. It is a gold mine. All right. Follow me, men in rabbinic speech. Become my students. Be apprenticed to me. Join my school. Live with me. Students live with their rabbis. They did not merely hear their lectures. Discipleship was study in residence, homeschooling. Do you guys know the apostles were homeschooled? They're homeschooled. It was a live-in arrangement with a teacher. The unusual feature in Jesus' school, however, is that, the Jesus, that Jesus recruits students. Ordinarily, students came asking for the privilege of studying and living with rabbis. But Jesus is no ordinary rabbi. He is Lord. And no one comes to this Lord by one's own initiative. The Lord comes to them first. Jesus calls people to himself, follow me. He calls them to, watch this, a continuous walk with him rather than to a single act towards him. Do you guys catch that? Follow me means, what does follow? When Jesus says follow me, means live a life of continual studying of the way of Jesus. Live a life following Jesus. And so when Jesus comes and, and says that to Matthew, standing in his sin, standing in his grievous occupation, imagine the shock. Like imagine the, the magnitude of what happened for Matthew. One, the school that Jesus is signing Matthew up for is like Ivy League status, right? Right? Do you realize the privilege Matthew had? He hit the jackpot, one of the 12, the apostles. We got to live with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Oh my gosh. There's no better seminary. There's no better university for like three years just walking with Jesus, living with Jesus, Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, teaching him about prayer, the things that Matthew saw Jesus do. Oh my goodness. Hit the jackpot. That's, that's Harvard. Yeah, I mean, that's, Harvard doesn't even hold a candle to Jesus' Jesus's seminary here, right? Secondly, what we see is Matthew wasn't seeking enrollment, right? It wasn't Matthew was like praying for the day that he'd become a disciple of Jesus, right? Like he was financially set. He knew where everyone in the religious community, the synagogue was at in regards to him. Like, yeah, I'm never welcome. It's okay. I'll just go do my thing out here. He wasn't, he wasn't seeking this out. Imagine getting a call from a recruiter for the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And they're like, hey, Nick, we need a, a, a position for running back. Are you in? Absolutely not. I would die, you know, but like, <laughs> but I'll be your water boy. Yeah, okay, cool. I could run with water pretty quickly. All right. That, that is like at this time in Jesus' ministry, everybody knew who Jesus was right? He couldn't, he couldn't, we looked at last week, he couldn't even travel from town to town. Like the, the, the hundreds, if not thousands of people were coming to him as he was truly bringing in the kingdom of God of, of restoration and, and healing and, and deliverance. And the third point, which is mind-blowing to Matthew, is how in the world did he qualify for enrollment for this school, right? Like if you've ever applied to higher level education, like master's or, or PhD level work or whatever, is you know, you gotta, you gotta have some receipts to get in. Oh, I gotta have like 15, you know, references, a reference from like third grade to vouch that you're a good dude. You have to do these applications, the transcript, let me see your GPA. Matthew wasn't qualified, he was a moral outcast. 
He was, he was the last of all, like, like the people that are qualified are the Pharisees. And as I was running through this this morning, the still small voice, I believe, of, of the Lord said, Matthew was qualified, Nick, don't say that. And I go, what do you mean? He was qualified. I only enroll sinners to follow me. The Pharisees are just blind to their sin. Only sinners can apply. Only sinners get accepted. What do you mean he's not qualified? He's perfectly qualified for my school. And, and, then, and, then, and then verse 13, don't take my word for it. Look at verse 13 in your text. Look at your Bibles. Jesus said, for I have not come to enroll the righteous into my school. I have not come to call them. I have come to call the sinners to enroll, to be my student and to be my disciple. Why? Why, why is that? Sinners are people who understand they need a savior. They need grace. They need guidance. The self-righteous have no need for that. The self-righteous have no need for this savior hypothesis. The self-righteous have no need for grace. The self-righteous have no need for a teacher. They got it all figured out. Why do I need you to come and tell me what to do? Because I'm rocking this thing, right? Self-righteous literally means you cannot be taught, you cannot be led, that you are a person who does not believe that you need help and that you need grace and that you need a shepherd. So how, how in the world would you, could you ever be a follower if, if you've arrived, right? They're impossible to teach. Frederick Bruner again says this, Jesus wants his people to know, you can put this quote on the screen if you have it, people want, Jesus wants his people to know that they are themselves wrong people whom he has met and is putting right, and is putting right. To be a Christian is to admit that Jesus has met us at our tax booth. He came to us in our sin, called us out of our sin, and not just saved us, is saving us. Like it's done, it's finished. I'll, raise, I'll be the first to raise my hand, and he's still got a whole lot of work left to do, right? I'm a wrong person being put right by the spirit of Christ inside of me, by his word, I am in process. And this is the beautiful reality of being a student, of being a follower of Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, is students understand that none of us ever arrive, that we're all in process. We're always learning. The, the mindset of the self-righteous is pride. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need, a, I don't need Jesus. I don't need grace. I'm crushing this thing called Christianity. Like I've memorized so much more than you guys have, right? Like I'm just awesome. I don't need, what are you, grace? I've, I got grace when I was saved. I don't need grace anymore. And that's the attitude of a self-righteous non-follower of Jesus, but a follower of Jesus, a student mindset is, is, is hunger and humility. Humble. I have a whole lot to learn. As long as there's breath in my lungs and I'm claiming to follow the Holy One, Jesus, man, I'm, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I got a lot to learn, right? And not just intellectually. Like when you, when you grow with Jesus, you realize, and you, go, and you go to seminary, you get the receipts, you realize that like you can pump your head full of knowledge. It, do, it doesn't necessarily equate to God changing your heart. I have nothing against higher education. I love higher, I love, I'm, where my nerds at? I love studying, all right? So like, sign me up. It's great. Yeah, I got a shout out in the back. Thanks for shout. Uh, but the more you walk with Jesus, the more you see, Nick, how's your heart? Do you see people the way I see people? Do you see people the way I see people? I'm calling you to die to yourself. I'm calling you to serve. I'm calling you to wash feet. I'm calling you outside of your self-preservation and into a life of, of beautiful following me to where I'm calling you to go, even when you don't want to go certain places. So raise your hand if there's anyone here who's graduated from Jesus' school of ministry. Don't raise your hand. That's a trick question. Um, <laughs> and this is the freeing truth from this text, is that if we're lifelong students, man, receive this gift of grace today. We're all in different stages of growth. We're all in different stages of growth. We're in process you think, hey guys, you think Matthew got it figured out day one? He leaves his tax booth and Jesus expects him to know everything about the kingdom of God, to know everything about the heart of Jesus? Like, you think Matthew like caught himself, like what he was like joking around with Jesus, what he was saying and being like, oh Jesus, I'm sorry, I said that. You think Jesus was like, okay, you're done. I kick you out of the university. You, you blew it, right? You think Jesus had that expectation day one? He's day one, a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, now I need to expect you to write a PhD level dissertation on the kingdom of God? No, right? And we know this to be true. I had an incident this past week where I got a call from a distressed wife this week. I have a three-year-old boy. I love him to death. He's great. 
And I have a three-month-old boy who is very vulnerable to physical threats of violence from the three-year-old. And <laughs> my three-year-old boy, okay? Like, we have these, like, you know, Nerf guns. You, you like the, the handheld Nerf gun, you cock back. Loads it, cocks it. Kids, kids on the floor, puts it to his head and pulls the trigger. I was like, listen, I'm not watching Goodfellas or The Godfather with my three-year-old boy. I have no idea where he just, like, was like, boom, you know? He got in big trouble, like big, like, like real trouble, okay? But listen, he's a three-year-old boy. He was having fun. He was playing Nerf guns with daddy earlier, you know, whatever. By the way, those Nerf guns are, those are shelved for a long time. Like we need to graduate up into a level of maturity because uh, we did not foresee that coming. Um, if if one, a 13-year-old came into that to a three-month-old, it's a whole different level. Why? There's a different stage of development that they're in. They've graduated that course. Don't shoot a baby in the head with a Nerf gun, right? Like, all of us have hopefully graduated that course, but there's a lot of kids in that, over there on that side of the building who haven't graduated that course yet, who haven't graduated the shoe tying course yet, right? But we have, so all, what I'm getting at is, is I wanna, discipleship can often crush us. And we think that I'm a Christian, so therefore I have to know everything. It's like, yo, we're, we're in process. We haven't arrived. And, and we see that, yes, for, for some of us who've been walking with the Lord for a while, like there's different levels of maturity that God would expect from us. But if you're here in a brand new Christian, a baby Christian, like don't let discipleship crush you. Just say yes to the beautiful invitation of Jesus to coach you and teach you and to train you. There's grace for you. New, like, like new believers coming in and there's a lot of them. It's awesome. I'm getting reconnect. It's just so cool to see what God's doing. They have questions. What's the Bible? Let me tell you about Bible. Yeah, the Bible. Okay, so how does this whole thing work? These questions, that's okay. We're in process, right? And that's what we see, and that's the beautiful reality is this, is that if there's grace and guidance for Matthew on his discipleship journey, there's grace and guidance for us because all of us uh, in Christ Jesus uh, have been saved but are being saved, meaning we're being trained, we're being coached on what it means to follow in Christ's footsteps. And that's great news. And so Matthew leaves his life of sin. He leaves his booth and he follows Jesus. Well, what happens next? Look we'll at my second point in verse 10. Jesus invites the moral outcast to feast with him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. If Matthew were to ask Jesus, Jesus, where are we going? When Jesus said, follow me, Jesus, where are you going? Jesus would have responded, Matthew, I'm coming over to your dinner table. I'm coming over for, to your house for dinner. That's where I'm going. Lesson number one. This is, this is lesson number one, is what I care about is people. That's the heart of God. Not, not necessarily just projects. I care about people. I am at your dinner table, Matthew. That's where we're going. You just have to go home and invite me in and then invite all of your friends because there is no true discipleship outside of relationship. Jesus said, abide in me and, and, and I in you because apart from me and a, and a relationship, you can do nothing. Discipleship comes through relationship and Jesus makes a beeline to feast with Matthew, the moral outcast, and all of Matthew's ragamuffin friends. And table fellowship in the first century, Jesus sharing a meal, table fellowship in the first century was way more weighty than the way you and I share a meal. Now, like some of you business guys, like, you know, Chili's is a new golf course. If you really want to land a deal, you take your guys to Chili's. Just don't, don't go to Chili's. I'm just kidding. But Chili's, you know, over Chili's, you know, just talk business. But you're not, you're not saying I want to be a friend to this person or have a deep relationship with you. In the first century, if you were to share a meal with someone, it, was an invita it wasn't a formality. It was an invitation to friendship. And Brendan Manning has this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And in it, he talks about Jesus' table fellowship ministry. And he says this, Nowhere in the New Testament is the privileged position of turkeys, nobodies, and marginal people on the fringes of society disclosed more dramatically than in Jesus' ministry of meal sharing. In first century Palestinian Judaism, the class system was enforced rigorously. It was legally forbidden to mingle with sinners who were outside the law. Table fellowship with beggars, tax collectors, traitors to the national cause because they were collecting taxes from Rome from their own people to get a kickback from the take, and prostitutes was a religious, social, and cultural taboo. Sadly, the meaning of meal sharing is largely lost in the Christian community today. In the Near East, to share a meal with someone is a guarantee, did you, see, did you catch this? 
To share a meal with someone in the ancient Near East is a guarantee of peace, trust, fraternity, and forgiveness. The shared table symbolized a shared life. For an Orthodox Jew to say, I would like to have dinner with you, is a metaphor implying I would like to enter into friendship with you. Even today, an American Jew, this was written 20, 30 years ago, even today, an American Jew will share a donut and a cup of coffee with you, but to extend a dinner invitation is to say, come to my mikdash miat, the miniature sanctuary of my dining room table. Watch this, where we will celebrate the most sacred and beautiful experience that life affords. Friendship. Friendship. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of tax collectors. Jesus was a friend of prostitutes. Jesus was a friend of Moralakas. Jesus didn't come to just hang out with Matthew. He also wanted to chill with all of Matthew's homies. And what we realize here is that all of Matthew's friends had to also be friends who were banished from the synagogue and the religious community at the time. Because to come into contact with Matthew was to essentially break the religious code of the time and therefore also have Matthew's status of being unclean. And so anyone that Jesus is going after are people who, who, like Jesus would go into the synagogue and Jesus would minister to people in the synagogue, but how is Jesus going to talk to the people that aren't even allowed in the synagogue? He has to go to where they're at. So he calls Matthew and then he, and then he tells Matthew, hey, your first homework assignment is open up your dinner table to all your friends and I want to come get to know them. I want to come get to know them. And uh, imagine, imagine the shock when Matthew calls all of his friends up for dinner that night, right? Imagine it, you know, they didn't have cell phones, but just for the sake of this illustration, Matthew calls up his bro. Hey, bro, what's, what's going on? How, how are you doing? Uh, well, 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 hey, you know that, like, that Jesus who's been like healing the sick and casting out demons and everyone's following, might be the Messiah. Yeah, Matthew, everybody knows this Jesus. What are you talking about? Of course, I, of course I've heard of him. I know everybody knows about him. Everyone's talking about him. What do you mean? Well, he's invited me to be one of his disciples. Now, I have in my notes, insert expletive from friend on the phone line like 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 what are you talking about give me a break Matthew Jesus invited you to be one of his students no chance come on what did you like go flex in the synagogue wear a disguise and like try to memorize the Torah and then Jesus was like hey this guy's pretty sharp let me let me let me call him hey hey and then Matthew on the other end of the line no 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 you don't you don't understand it wasn't I wasn't hiding in in the synagogue um I was in the tax booth when he called me. I was literally at, at the tax booth. Bro, there's no way. There's no way he called you when you were, in your, when you were at the, the tax booth. There's just no way he, he invited you to follow when he knew that you were a tax collector. No, man, you don't understand. It, it all happened. He did. I'm not, I'm not making this up. But, but honestly, that's not the reason I'm, I'm calling the first assignment Jesus gave was, was to invite all my friends. And, and then he started naming, I'd never name, I didn't name anyone, but, but he, he mentioned your name before I even mentioned your name. And he said, make sure you invite so-and-so to dinner. I really, I really want to hear his story. I really want to get to know him. You guys realize that happened, right? Like Matthew had to go tell his friends to come over and conversations like that happened. And Jesus didn't have to feast with this ragtag group of folks Jesus wanted to be there. He wanted to be there. He didn't have to be. It's the very reason Jesus came was to seek and to save the lost. I heard this line a while back about leadership. There's like you know, a million definitions of leadership, but I love this one. Leadership is doing what you love and inviting people to follow you. And so Jesus' leadership to Matthew was saying, I'm gonna do what I, what I love to do and I, and, I, and I love to show God's heart and God's love to the moral outcasts of society. And so Matthew, I'm inviting you to come with me and use to leverage your dinner table for me to seek and save the lost. Jesus didn't have to be there. He wanted to be there. And so if we were to imagine this dinner party, is everyone frowning? Like, is Jesus like, like, it, like you know, the meals happen and there's a bunch of, uh, of sinners around the table and who don't, you know, haven't necessarily learned how to clean up their language and, and all that stuff. Is, is Jesus frowning? Or is he smiling? Is Jesus laughing with them or is he scolding them? Jesus said, hey, now that I have all of you here, let me scold you and, and wave my finger at you and, and give you the runaround for all this stuff. Like what, what's, the, what's the atmosphere there? And, and what, if, what if Jesus is genuinely interested in, 
in loving and knowing every single person at the dinner table? What, what if Jesus, yes, Jesus taught, yes, Jesus preached the gospel. What if Jesus is also listening and asking questions and drawing them in to his heart? I used to do youth ministry for a while. I did young life for a little bit. And, um, you know, in, in young life ministry, they're very uh, evangelistic in their philosophy of ministry. And they would talk about doing contact work incarnational ministry as, as a volunteer leader in college, entering into high school students' lives, going to their, their games, their activities, getting to meet all of their friends. And there was a saying in Young Life um, that you need to earn the right to be heard in the lives of students. You need to earn the right to be heard. And the idea behind that is that as you share the good news of Jesus Christ rescuing sinners, is that message needs to be wrapped in love. And what love looks like is relationship. Love looks like time. Love looks like care. This is how you show your care for someone as you enter their world. You know their friends' names. You know what their likes and dislikes are, and you go to where they are. And often in evangelism, we get really nervous because all we do is we focus on the gospel pitch, which is really important. We, we want to... You know, Romans 10, how can they believe in, in someone they, they haven't heard? So we want to clearly articulate the good news of what Jesus has done for us. But often where we go wrong is, is, is like there's this massive, this massive river, if you will, between us getting the gospel to people on the other side, people who, who haven't said yes to Jesus. And so often you'll see megaphone man on the side of the street calling down like hellfire on people across the river. There's no bridge being built. It's air support, just boom, just, just you know, turn or burn uh, messages from a megaphone. And what we learn in 1 Corinthians 13 is, is, is if I have not love, I am a noisy gong. I am a clanging symbol. Yes, we speak the truth, but the truth is to be wrapped in love. And what we see uh, Jesus's evangelistic uh, model is relational evangelism, that Jesus would build this bridge across the river of, 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 of time after time, meal after meal. He's, he's, he's showing in what he does and the look in his eyes and the, the time spent with these moral outcasts to, to bring that beautiful good news to their hearts so that they receive it. He's working his fingers to the bone to genuinely love them and show them that he cares about them. And so what we see in our text is we don't know if Jesus did an altar call after dinner. We don't know if everybody was, was saved in uh, that moment. Of course, we know that this was the desire of Jesus was for everyone at that meal to say yes to him. But we know for sure that this was all part of of the process for Jesus. He grabbed dinner with sinners because he wanted to extend that dinner into eternity with them. And if they haven't said yes in the first go around, he's gonna continue to, to seek them out before they say yes or no. And so for uh, a while back, I got connected through a mutual friend with uh, an atheist who um, is, is gay, he's married to another man. And um, he sought me out uh, to get grab lunch because he wanted to meet pastors because his big thing is trying to get non-affirming pastors to become affirming. And he gave me a book to read and all this stuff. And so I, I met him once at this, this event and then I was gonna grab lunch with him. And, um, and the way there, I'm praying and I'm prepping like, I'm going through the, the Rolodex of like my apologetics arguments, going through the Rolodex of like the truth and love in regards to this lifestyle, how Jesus, you know, invites us to, 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 to all of us to turn out of sexual brokenness and into all this stuff. And as I'm praying before this, this meeting, I really feel the, the, the almost the, the fear, the, the rebuke of the Lord come upon me. And what I felt in that moment was, Nick, don't you dare for a second think this is one lunch with this individual. And then, and then I felt after that, immediately I felt, and you will listen and ask questions, and I will tell you when you will speak. So I went, and I was like, all right, woo, I would have blown that one. <laughs> That's why it's important to be led by the Spirit, and to be dependent, and to be praying, because the, the Lord can correct us. The Spirit is present with us. So I go to that first meeting, and I said, tell me your story. I want to hear your story. I got to hear a story. Tell me your experience with the church. What's your view of the church? Story after story after story after story of not love, of not even truth, of hatred to people like him and in his community. 
So I'm listening and I'm apologizing. Sorry. Oh my gosh, that's your experience. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. Hey, let's grab lunch again. And listen, listen more. Eventually, the Lord told me to speak and shared the gospel with him. Things got heated. And this is my invitation to him. I said, hey, whether you convert me from being non-affirming to affirming, or I convert you from being an atheist to a follower of Jesus, can we still be friends? Can this continue to happen? Can we still grab lunch? Because, because so-and-so, I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. And if we can agree upon that, then we can still link up. And, and with that, that bond of relationship, two, two, three years into that, I got to, he hasn't, he hasn't come all the way yet, but 2021, got to pray with him. The Lord shows up in power. I'm weeping. He's weeping. And it was just this beautiful, beautiful moment. But the reason I share that is not to, to flex or to, you know, like, oh, be like me. But, but what happens, what happens if someone doesn't right away hear the gospel and receive the gospel, like become a Christian? You still love them, Right? Oh, too, I got shake the dust off my feet. You know, bro, no, Jesus is there. And we don't know, we don't know if they all like came to Jesus. We know Matthew did. We don't know if all of his friends did. But Jesus was a friend of sinners. He proved his love for them in time. And so we, the church, if we're to be followers of Jesus, we need to be going where Jesus is going, earning the right to be heard, serving people, loving them as Jesus met us and tarried with us on our journey back to him, we are to do the same for others. And point number three, lastly, Jesus invites moral outcasts to freedom, to freedom in him. Verse 11 through 13. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, but go and learn what this means. Oh, he gives the Pharisees a homework assignment. I love that. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so the Pharisees, the, the religious elite of the day, are super triggered by what Jesus is doing. And rightfully so, because the, what they're wrestling with, what they're wrestling with is what some of you are wrestling with as I'm sharing some of these illustrations and stories. Is Jesus endorsing their lifestyle by hanging out with them? That's what they're wrestling with. How can you know their sin and still share like chips and dip with them? How can you do that? You're supposed to keep your distance. You're supposed to condemn. You're supposed to shun. And then Jesus, the first thing he says is he likens himself to a doctor. And he says, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so immediately what we're presented with in our text is two different mindsets to moral outcasts, to the sinner. One mindset is a judicial mindset. The other mindset is a medical mindset. And so Jesus calls out the judicial mindset of the Pharisees. And what that is, is uh, pronounce the sin and pronounce the judgment. And that's the temptation in our culture today. No matter, no matter, what, no matter where you're at on social media, whatever tribe that you're called to hate, that's the invitation. Come join me. Are you gonna join me in condemning this? So come say it. Let me hear you say it. Let, come on, let post it. Let me hear you condemn, because if you're not, if you're not condemning, then you're, then you're not one of us, right? And so what, what, what a judicial mindset is, condemn, punish, condemn, punish, condemn, shun, condemn, punish. A medical mindset is, hey, we agree that, we agree that this lifestyle leads to eternal separation from God. All sin leads to eternal separation from God. We can agree there, but the heart of a doctor is not saying cancer, 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 saying cure, cure, cure. There's a cure, there's healing, there's restoration, and that's our heart posture towards sinners just like ourselves. We just polish our sin. Our sin is just polished. Our sin is just tolerated, right? And so our posture going to anyone in evangelism is you gotta meet Jesus. You gotta see what he's done. I know we don't have to waver on our convictions on what we all know is true, but what do we want for individuals like ourselves? We got mercy, we got restorations. Raise your hand. Some of us got delivered. Delivered by Jesus Christ the King. And I don't want people who are bound in, in demonic oppression delivered. Give me a break. You know the biggest thing when, when Jesus comes and manifests in your life as deliver and breaks chains of bondage in your life? The, most, the, the biggest thing you want is to him to do that for other people who don't deserve it because you didn't deserve it. That's what it is. God, you deliver me. And now, oh, let it be my song that what you did to me, you do through me. 
And so now with that lens, I can look at people who are lost and wrapped up in the cords of, of sexual iniquity like I was as a Christian, and they're wrapped in that. Who can set them free? There's only one person, and his name is Jesus. It's the only hope. And so, and so then Jesus goes, and then Jesus goes, you know, it'd be, it'd be, like, it'd be like us going to an oncologist and saying, oh, you're getting so close to these sinners. What are you doing hanging out with these sinners? Oncologists would be like, have you lost your marbles? I'm an oncologist. It would be malpractice if I, if I shunned them because of their condition. It would be evil. It would be horrific if I kept my distance because they were yucky cancer, you know, got to say, oh, you got that? Oh, man, I got to keep my, I'm an oncologist. It's what I came to do. Jesus, that's what he said. I came to heal and restore all of you broken up, messed up people. And the Pharisees are just the ones who just don't realize it, that they need to be saved out of their self-righteousness. He's not endorsing a lifestyle of sin. He's getting close enough to bring healing. He's getting close enough for them to just, oh, if they just say yes. If they just say yes. Oh, come on. You're so close, just come on, just, just, just lay down on the operating table, just say yes to me. I'll be with you as long as there's breath in your lungs, I'll meet with you, I'll tear with you to show that you just gotta say yes, just surrender and see what I can do. That's the heart of a physician. It's the heart of the physician. A while back, I was four-wheeling with my family, my sisters and, and my brother-in-law, and we loaded up his truck with an ATV and a, and a dirt bike. This is before cell phones and came full circle there. Anyways, uh, and we go uh, a couple hours uh, west of here. And we're at our cabins and we're going to this mountain and we all get stuck in mud. We get the truck stuck in mud, like stuck, stuck, like middle of nowhere, no cell service. Told uh, our parents back at the cabin, if we're not back by like 5 p.m., come looking for us. And uh, we're doing everything we can to get unstuck. We're, we're trapped. We're, we're, we're stuck. We're hopeless. We're covered in mud. You know, people are revving the engine. We're trying to push, and the mud's getting all splattered all over us. And it's just a mess. It's dark. It's cold. Um, we're on the ATV trying to go into town to knock on random doors in the country, which is something you never want to do, you know, to get a, like, hey, can we call a wrecker? Anyways, long story short, it's like 10.30 p.m., and I hear my dad's uh, we had this orange Chevy pickup way back in there. Blah, 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 blah. Sounded like a Blackhawk chopper coming up the mountain. And he was looking for us, right? And there's some, there's some sketchy trail. Like, there's like some, like, it's carved out of a mountain, so you can like fall. Anyways, so I hear that. I'm going, the Blackhawk has come. Like, we were, we were stuck with no hope of being, and he, he like takes the turn, finds us. The, he came for us. We didn't call him, we ran away, we made stupid mistakes, we got stuck, we're a filthy mess. Remember last week, bring your mess to the Messiah? This is what repentance looks like. He does all the work to, bring, to, to, to find us out, right where we're at. But notice, in that moment when we see him and we start talking, we don't invite him into our life. We don't invite the father out of the pickup truck. Hey, so come, come join us. Like We're just gonna add you into our stuckness here. What the father does is he invites us out of our life and into his life. Because I got places I want to take you. This here is bondage. This here is, this here is going to lead to your death. You don't have any food or drink or water. If I do not come, if you do not come with me, this leads to slow death. So come with me. And come to me just as you are. You're covered in, you're covered in mud. But climb on up. Climb on up. Bring your mess to the Messiah. He'll clean you up and he'll bring you home. That's what repentance looks like. We don't invite Jesus into our lives. Jesus is far better than that to us. He invites us into something far greater. He invites us into his life his life. And that's why Jesus says, he who tries to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life will find it for my sake. And the life I lose is nothing compared to the life that Jesus offers. And so Jesus gives the Pharisees a homework assignment. Band, you can come on up. I'll conclude with this. And he says, go and learn what this means, Pharisees. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so Jesus gives them uh, basically a homework assignment. Go study, go study the prophet Hosea. Jesus is quoting Hosea. And if you know about the minor prophet Hosea, this is all about uh, this prophet being commanded by God to marry a prostitute who is unfaithful to the covenant that this prophet had made. And the whole point of, of Hosea is illustrating God is a God of steadfast, covenantal, eternal, faithful love to a faithless 
people. And then Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6 in our text today. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And there's a whole lot loaded in that statement, but one thing for sure that that means is this, is the religious Pharisees were all about sacrifice, all about their hands, all about these empty religious rituals. Jesus says these people, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are, um, are checked out a million miles away. And what we know about forgiven sinners, Jesus says he or she who is forgiven much loves much. And so as Jesus rescues and forgives and cleanses, ruins sinners, he's got our heart forever because we alone know what he saved us from. And we alone know how stuck we were, hopeless we were, and he came and did it. Yeah, you got my heart. And let me give you my hands now. If, if he gets our heart, then he gets our hands. But often, often we think what God wants is just our hands. I gotta come to church check the box, right? But our hearts aren't there. And so I think the invitation as before we take communion is just to, 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 in a fresh way, in a new way, offer your heart to God. Say, God, I wanna know you. God, I, 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 don't, I don't wanna be lukewarm anymore in my life. I know that your desire, God's delight is to feast and to fellowship with us. Redemption is for the sake of relationship. The question is, do we delight in God? Do we share the same delight in God that he has with us? And that's the invitation. The God we serve is, is God of Zephaniah 3. He sings songs of, of delight and victory over us. That's, his, that's what love is. And Revelation 3, 15 through 20 says this. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And at first glance, all right, Jesus, that's pretty harsh. That's heavy, right? And what Jesus is saying, this is the most loving thing he can do to those who are blind, to those who are naked, to those who are poor. But watch his invitation. Watch what he says. I counsel you, I invite you, come to me. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Come to me for white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. What the Messiah is saying is come to me with your mess. Don't clean yourself up first. Repentance is coming to Jesus. Yes, turning from sin with the desire to leave it, to be cleansed, to be forgiven, to never go back. And yet also confessing that I don't have the means by which to cleanse myself. Jesus is offering that. To all of us today, fresh forgiveness, fresh pardon, and part of confession is not just confessing that you are a sinner in need of a savior, but also confessing that you need God's help to overcome sin, that God, I'm powerless to overcome this. Would you also give me the grace and the strength to overcome this? And then watch what Jesus says. Those whom I love, I repute and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And so Jesus is knocking. This, this, uh, this verse here, this, this letter to the church at Laodicea was written to Christians. And um, we're about to take communion. And the Lord's Supper is all about us, us sharing that meal in remembrance of Jesus. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he was sharing one last Passover meal, table fellowship with his disciples. And he took wine and he said, this wine will represent my blood that I will shed to cleanse you from your sins, to, to wipe away everything that would separate you from knowing God. And break this bread. This bread represents my body, which is broken for you. And the heart of Jesus today that we've seen in this series and what we see today in our text is he wants table fellowship with sinners. And this is what the Lord's Supper is. This is what communion is. Is Jesus standing out the door and, and, and knocking on our hearts and saying, I want to feast with you. I want to be at your dinner table. I want to know your heart. I want to know your thoughts. Invite me in. You're boxing me out because of your mess. No, don't let your mess keep you from me. I've provided everything you need. Salve so you can see. Clothing to cover your nakedness. Gold, true gold that will give you spiritual eternal wealth. Come to me. And so let's do that. Let's uh, posture our hearts in humility and prayer before we take the Lord's Supper together and say yes to his invitation 
to come close to his heart and to his presence. So let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, I just, just pray for anyone today who feels just on the outskirts, on the periphery of your heart. They just feel distant. They feel disconnected, God. I pray, Lord God, that you would draw them close. I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this moment of prayer, that you would just whisper to people's hearts, Lord God. We have an expectation that you're here in our midst, your spirit. Jesus, you walked among us, and by your spirit, you are moving and walking among us. You're with us. You're the God with us. So would you speak, would you move, God? Would you bring cleansing where there needs to be cleansing? Would you break the chains of bondage where there needs to be deliverance, God? But all of, all of that leads just to heart. You just want our hearts. You want our affections. You want our love, God. And so would, would you, Jesus, by the Spirit, bring us back to that first love passion? where we just want to know you. We just want to love you. We want to worship you, God. And if, and if you get our hearts, Lord, you'll get our hands, Lord Jesus. And that's what you desire is steadfast love. And so thank you, Lord. You're so good to us. Thank you that you came to all of us and in whatever tax booth you found us and you descended and entered into our world so that we could enter into yours, God. That's the God we worship, the God who doesn't keep his distance from us, but the God who chases us down and to the point of his taking his taking our sin and and to the point that he would he would take our punishment that our sin endured would do that so that we could share this table fellowship meal with him forever and so thank you lord we bless you we we love you jesus you're so unlike us and we pray lord god that you would continue to disciple us oh great rabbi that you would continue to teach us and lead us to where you're going, Lord God, and, and let our heart cry be today that we want to go with you.